This is Diana Cordy with Book Talk. My guest is art history professor Noah Chorney, author of more than a dozen books. Among his titles are The Art of Forgery and a novel, The Art Thief. He is an American expat who lives and teaches in Slovenia and is also a professor in Rome. He's a founder of the Association for Research into Crimes Against Art and considered by many the Sherlock Holmes of art crime. His newest book is a guided tour through the history of art using a different lens. It's called The Devil in the Gallery, How Scandals, Shock, and Rivalry Made the Art World. Noah, welcome to Book Talk. Thank you so much for having me. Scandal, shock, and rivalry all have negative connotations, don't they? But you make the case that it's not so for some artists. I think that I can make a case that for art in general, actually, there have been relatively few artists for whom scandal, shock, or rivalry have actually been problematic. Now, that's a surprise because in most fields, all of those are very negative things. And even a whiff of scandal can cause the ruin of a career. But in the art world, they seem to be so beneficial that artists court all three. So from a rivalry perspective, there's a little bit of, of capitalist economic theory here, but basically competition results in, in better out. But then scandal is defined as an inadvertent making of waves and shocking the public, not through intention, but by a byproduct of what you do, where a shock is deciding I'm going to scandalize, I'm going to do something that's going to get me attention. And all three of those have really improved the careers of just about all the artists I can imagine. There are dozens of case studies in the book. And it's, it's a fun sort of alternative way to look at art history, some of the stories we know, but not within this context. Who's the biggest shocker in your book? Well, you know, if there's a poster boy for all three, it's got to be Caravaggio. I open the book and end it with him. And he is, he, he's the, the headliner for all three. And very often, all three will cross paths within a single career. So he scandalized some debate as to how intentional that was. But he was just a very unpleasant, pugnacious person but an absolute artistic genius. And he used shock tactics on purpose. There's a strong consideration that he intentionally made some of his religious paintings um, so that they would be deemed indecorous and rejected by the initial commissioners. He would keep the money that he got in order to start the painting, go and sell it to a private collector for much more. And then he it was all about rivalry. Most artists would love to have someone emulate their style and actually had studios where they would teach apprentices and assistants to paint in their style, but not Caravaggio. He actually threatened to sue or beat up or threatened to kill other artists who emulated his revolutionary style. And so he had one rival after another. But I think that all spurned not only his art forward, but also those of his contemporaries. Why did he carry a sword? Well, he was a badass. That's, I think, the technical term for it. It was illegal for him to do so. You were only allowed to carry a sword if you were in the military or an aristocrat. And he carried a sword because he was getting into a lot of fights. Rome circa 1600 was a very dangerous place. It had a lot of dark corners. There were a lot of muggers. There were gangs. It sounds kind of silly to us, but there were gangs of artists. We think of artists as probably not so uh, aggressive and violent types, but these were 
gangs of artists would get in street fights with each other. And he had a great slogan emblazoned on his sword. And it said, without hope, without fear, which I always thought would make a great tattoo for a, a Caravaggio scholar. So yeah, he was just a badass. That's the, <laughs> the only term that I can think of. One of your examples of rivalry is the story that explains why it was Michelangelo and not one of his rivals who was assigned to paint the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. There is a story, and you know, it's it's funny. It's a story that I learned in art history class. It's probably apocryphal, but it's one that a lot of other artists have pointed to because they thought it was true. And the timing doesn't quite line up, but the story goes that Raphael and Bramante were friends and they were established as um, architects and painters in Rome, favored by the Pope. Um, And they saw Michelangelo as a threat, both as an architect and um, as an artist in general, but they thought that they could sabotage Michelangelo's career by getting him assigned a high-profile fresco because he had never painted in fresco before. It's a very specialized technique. Um, And he, they recommended the Pope have him paint the Sistine Chapel ceiling. Um, and then, of course, we know that he, he created what was probably the greatest fresco ever made. The timing doesn't quite work out with the actual dates um, of, of the artist in question. So that story is probably apocryphal, but they did have a rivalry. And in another painting called Fire in the Borgo, which is in the Papal Apartments, it's a fresco by Raphael, but it's very interesting because in it, he paints intentionally some figures in a Michelangelesque style. So he's essentially saying, you know what, I can paint like Michelangelo if I want to, but who would want to because my style is so much more elegant. And so you see the rivalry in a single painting, and, and I love that. So these sort of stories, it makes the artists that we tend to think of in an idealized, deified way, we tend to put them on a pedestal, we refer to them by one name, and we think to ourselves, well, they're just these superhuman beings. I love stories that make them feel human. And we forget that these were human beings who happened to be exceptional artists. And I love stories that flesh them out in a three-dimensional way. Are most major stolen art pieces recovered and returned to the owner? Exactly the opposite, unfortunately. We're very bad at recovering stolen art. According to one study, as little as 1% of art registered as stolen is recovered um, successful prosecutions. The people who are best at it are the Italian Carabinieri. They have a dedicated art police division called the TPC with over 300 full-time agents. And they recover some 20 to 30% of what's reported stolen. Most countries have no dedicated art police at all. We're very bad at recovering it. Now, the more famous the object, the more likely it is to be recovered. And in terms of quantity, the vast majority of art crumbs is illicit trade in looted antiquities that were taken directly out of the earth or sometimes the sea in illicit excavations. And so nobody knows what was there. And these objects can be traded on an open market with falsified documentation suggesting that they were legally excavated and exported long ago, or they can be sold in online auctions, um, or they get passed off by unscrupulous dealers. And so in terms of quantity, that's the biggest problem. But what I tend to study are the high-profile stories involving the famous works of art, because that usually gets people most excited. Why is it good for the art world and the rest of us that there's a devil in the gallery? Well, I think that it's good for the art world and the rest of us because it provokes people to work harder 
and to think outside the box. Um, I think what we would have if we didn't have these rivalries and these scandals, we would have a system that was promoting uh, the status quo. The rivalries and the attempts to push boundaries to get written about, to get attention, tend to make people do more than they would otherwise to try to step out of their comfort zones and to essentially garner attention. And the rivalries force people to outdo themselves in an attempt to outdo others. And so it's it's sort of the same concept if we had, um, I don't know, only one cable provider the world over. They would do just no more. But if there's competition, then it's better for the consumer because the, the different competitors are trying to outdo one another. So I think it's the same. It's basic capitalist economic theory, but transposed to creativity. Then, um, then it, it still functions as beneficial for all involved. And the negative sides do not seem to stick with the artists. They seem to shrug off scandal, shock and rivalry with ease, which means that they're not punished for trying to push those boundaries. Thank you. My guest is Noah Charney author of The Devil in the Gallery, How Scandal, Shock, and Rivalry Made the Art World, published by Roman and Littlefield. This is Diana Cordy with Book Talk.